There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're not sitting there drowning in notes. You're letting yourself sort of really try to get away and big picture this thing and try to imagine what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, the shower to me is like a like a sensory deprivation tank or something. You know, it's like it's the only place in time you can just really drown the rest of the world out. Um, my husband always knows if I'm working on a, a big project, he'll be like, "You've been in the shower for 35 minutes," you know, and I'm in there like waiting through the lead in my head, and I'm not going to get out of that damn shower until I can get out and put something on the piece of paper on the back of the toilet that I know what the lead is going to be. I would say 95% of my leads I write in the shower. <laughs> Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, the writing process. So every reporter takes steps to get from idea to draft, and we're going to talk about Lane's six-step process, starting with the idea. So Lane is like an idea fountain. They just bubble up all the time. And you could probably make most of them work, but you say your process starts by pitching ideas to your editor, bringing her a Diet Coke, which is true because she carries lots of Diet Cokes in her bag. Um, You pray that I won't mention deadline or inch count, right? Um, But let's talk a little bit about the idea, right? What are you you looking for in the idea? Um, I feel like a lot of people who want to get into doing narrative think they have to have, like, the most perfect idea and it has to be vetted in a certain way and you have to be able to explain everything about it. And I think I err on the other side where, like, (laughs) I had this thought bubble while I was taking a shower this morning, you know. And so I I pitch a lot of ideas. Like, if a week goes by and I don't pitch two or three ideas, I feel like I'm not doing my job. So. I pitch a lot of things that, that aren't very well formatted, aren't very well thought out. but just They just caught of, your eye. They just got your attention. I'm wondering about, you right. know. And, mm-hmm. and so if there's a little bit of a glimmer of interest, then I'll go back and report a little bit more and figure out what it is. But I also like being shut down and like, yeah, no, we've heard that before. Or we've done that before. Or I'm just not interested in that. Or something that I, I didn't think I'd want, you know, when I was in my 30s. But now that I'm 50-something, um. To be able to pitch ideas for other people, right. you know, like I have these great ideas that somebody else could do just as well as me or, or instead of me, and it's fine. And I, I used to want to, like, hold on to all my ideas really tightly, and now I think it's kind of fun to be able to go, oh, this is a story for so-and-so, you know. So I'm, I'm looking for something I've never done before. I mean, after 30 years in the business, I wanted a story that, that I've never done before or I've never heard or read before. Um, I want a story that's going to make people feel something Um it used to be more about making people learn something or understand something. And I think now I'm, I'm much more um, excited if I can make our readers feel something. I like, I think that you, you get in, intrigued by a situation or a person and it's almost like your mind starts racing and wonder, like I remember years ago when we were in Virginia and you had seen a, a woman, a black woman who was in a maid's outfit leaving some big 
you know, house, big fancy house or something, and imagining to yourself that she's working for a little white lady and what this relationship might have been like over the years. I mean, like, who knows where that was really the case? I mean, you know, maybe she's working for another black woman, but you had imagined this whole scenario of what the story might be just from watching the lady, you know, walk to the bus stop or something. And so it's fun that you have that kind of, like, you're always sort of, you're thinking ahead. You're seeing something and imagining what that idea might turn into. I do. It's such a great um, opportunity, I think. Your job, like, you're curious about something? Well, go find out about right. it. You know, we were sitting on the beach last night looking at this big ship offshore that's all lit up after sunset, and they're dredging the sand way offshore and spitting it back on the beach. And I'm like, what would it be like to live on that ship? Right. You know, what are they doing out there for two, three weeks at a time on this ship? You can see them from the shore. Anybody who goes to the beach is like, what's that ship? So as a reporter, you get that opportunity to go, what are you doing out there on that ship? You See, know? and I, I like that story. The photographer we were with was not as enamored of that story, but um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, what is going on in that barge? It's like this whole other world out there we don't know about, you right. know? Right. So, betting the lots of ideas, good, throw out lots of ideas, pick the one that has the most potential, go back, do some more reporting, right? Figure that out. Um, and then you talk about moving to the reporting, right? And you, so you have this big idea, and your steps include Google, Facebook, right? Calling the source from the quiet spot by the elevator. <laughs> All right, what are you looking for there? Are you looking to poke holes in your idea? Are you looking for different things? The what? other way, like I'm looking to short up, I okay. think. Yeah, and and I don't, uh, this is going to sound silly for some people, but I don't like to make phone calls in the newsroom because I don't, I don't feel intimate like that. I feel like people are listening to me and I'm aware of who's watching me or what I'm saying. So I like to go sit somewhere real quiet to make my phone calls. And it, it gets me to feel like I'm like m more intimate with the subject matter too, but also puts me in that bubble where I'm not distracted. You know, I can put everything into that, that place. And, and between the idea and the reporting, I think some of the things I'm always looking out for is, is my subject going to be willing you know, can I find a character who's going to let me in, who's going to be honest and, and legit and mm -hmm. not try to manipulate me or bail on me? And so a lot of that space between the idea and the reporting is making sure I have the right character. I like how you say that, um, you know, you're going back for more for people. You're trying to get the hone the idea some more. But, and then you complain that the idea is too small or too big, right? Absolutely. And then ask for more time. <laughs> Help me figure this out. Yeah, yeah, finding a frame, looking for a frame there, I think, is, is important while I'm doing the reporting. And that's definitely something I'd want to talk through my editor with. Like, You, you say you like your key moments in the reporting is that you're asking yourself, why are we doing this and why will the reader care? Um, and that, I guess, is, is a constant, right? Kind of just stop. Is that something you stop and consciously do every so often? Always during the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it helped. It, Hinges more on me at the beginning, like why am I doing this? Why am I interested in doing this? Right. What, what do I want you? to get out of it? Yeah. yeah, and then morphing to like, okay, on a broader perspective, how am I going to get the readers to care about this? You know, and sometimes I know a lot of reporters out there are probably writing stories that they don't care about. You know, you're assigned to stuff you don't care about, or stuff right. comes up on your beat, and you got to sit through another damn zoning board meeting. You know, and then that to me becomes the challenge of finding somebody who does care about it. You know, finding a stakeholder who can be like, this zoning law is the worst thing since sliced ham. You know, like. Mm -hmm someone who's got something that they're passionate about so so I can feel that excitement or anger or whatever the emotion is. And there is someone out there who cares about zoning law. There's always there someone. always is somebody who's got something at stake, yeah. Um, so then you talk about planning. So 
Um, and I find a graceful way to ask about length and deadline. And yes, there is a pattern here that will emerge. Um, but okay, why? So because that's putting pressure on you, right? Like if you if you know, uh, hey, this is our weekender for two weeks out, and you know you really got to deliver. Is that like that's why you're that's what you're tr- you're basically trying to, to see how much maneuverable how much maneuvering you've got there, how much room you've got? Yeah, and also how much room I've got to report. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who needs a damn deadline. If you tell me there's no deadline, I'm going to give it to you next year. You know, (laughs) I need someone to put the hammer down on me. Um, But I also need to know how much time I have before that happens because I tend to report right up to the very end and not leave myself enough time for writing. I tend to keep reporting and reporting until someone goes, wait, you know, shut the door. You've got enough. Yeah, yeah. and so I I need to know that um, at a certain part in the process. Um, So under planning, so stop me on any of these places or what you want to talk about, but I I love the... uh, the, so under planning, you talk about, you know, uh, I need to write from home and then you go home and vacuum and do the dishes, of course, just get distracted, um, make a timeline, take note on take notes on notes, block sections of information versus exposition, stash your notes in the car, tape photos around your cubicle or your computer, tell your story to the dog, listen to John Prine, and then, of course, unload the dishes. Right. <laughs> so that's the process that you're following over there. Yeah, and I don't think I used to think I was wasting time or procrastinating. I, I, I'm like I have to. I'm not like the super neatest housekeeper, but I want to get my world in order, you know, before I can sit down and put my brain to my story. And I used to think that that was procrastinating, but now I think it's that's my thought process. You know, if I can vacuum and do the dishes and do laundry and do something where I'm engaging my body but not my mind, that's when my mind is really mulling through how to tell the story or what the lead's going to be or what the big question is. You know, so. I embrace it, you know, and and, and I've known since I was very young that I I like to write at home in a cave. I I love being in the newsroom. I love the the chatter and the chaos and the TVs and the police scanner and the conversations, but I can't get in the bubble that I need to to put my brain to my own words and story until I'm home somewhere quiet. So you're never sitting at a blank screen just looking for inspiration. That doesn't doesn't help or happen. I'd much rather do the dishes. (laughs) Something is getting done. <laughs> yeah, no, I think staring at a blank screen is the most probably intimidating thing for a writer, you mm. know, just feeling like it's it's challenging you to come up with something good, you know. So I, I keep notebooks, you know, by my sink in the kitchen, in my glove box, in my car, and my nightstand by my bed, on the back of the toilet, outside the shower, you know. Everywhere in my, in my house, there's like a little notepad and pen, so I'm scratching down ideas or thoughts or words or fragments or reasons that I don't suck or I do suck (laughs) either one you know but just when I sit down to write I usually have this whole pile or like a little ziploc baggie full of like the back of receipts and napkins and stuff that I've put pieces of thoughts on um so it's not completely linear linear until I start to write and then I I'm we didn't talk about this much but Leonora was our guest on one of these podcasts she writes in pieces you know and then puts them all together I'm very much like I want to start at the top and move down in order. Talk about stashing your notes, because I find a lot of reporters could benefit from doing that. Like, because I think you almost invariably just get stuck with your head in the notebook, thinking that it's there, that the story's in there somewhere, and you will find it if you stuff your head in the notebook. And yet, I think it becomes almost crippling in a way. It almost limits you or, or you know, Totally, and and then you're stuck with what people are telling you, because mm-hmm. not a lot right. of reporters. Instead of what you're feeling, right? Not a lot of reporters write down their thoughts or their reactions or their feelings. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, I've tried to be better about that now. Like before I'll get in my car after an interview, I try to sit there for five minutes and write down some thoughts or feelings. I don't always do that. I have time to do that, you know, but... I feel we don't learn to do that as reporters, to write down your own impressions, you know, and that's a lot of times what you need to actually start the writing process. So I had an old editor on the Outer Banks who would, like, take my notes, and that's terrifying, you know, and and he never looked at them that I know of. He never, like, made me feel like I was doing something wrong or right. He just put them away somewhere and said, you know the story. You know, the story is in your head and in your heart, and go tell the story. And I think that's the single most thing I did that helped me transit from being a reporter to a writer. You know, putting those notes away and not being beholden to the things I gathered, but allowing myself to incorporate the things I knew or felt. I think the timeline is a really powerful tool, too. Um, and I'm not sure everybody, you know, actually sits down and does that. But especially when you're telling a narrative to kind of really understand everything that you've got and you're not always going to start the the narrative at the very beginning and you're you know you you may have a really long timeline and the narrative may be only 10 minutes of that timeline but just to help you so talk about how that helps you in terms of having that that process I mean and it's part of the process too it kind of familiarizes you with again with the subject that you've been reporting on right yeah so what I do in in terms of once I'm done with the writing, I mean, the reporting process, once I think I've finished the gathering piece of it, I'll sit down and read through all my notebooks and take a page of notes on each notebook. So if I've got a dozen notebooks, I'll have 12 pages of notes. And that really condenses everything. It helps me figure out, like, what's important out of all that gathering I've done. I mean, I gather everything, so oftentimes I don't know what's going to be important or what I'll need. But after I've done the reporting and I can go through and pick and choose, that helps solidify to me the stuff that's important, the scene that's important, or the quote that's important. So I'll take notes on my notes. And then the next part I do, which is actually kind of a really fun part because it's brainless, is putting these timelines together and being like as detailed as you possibly can. So you're basically a scribe at that point. You know, you're just date, event, what happened. But that's when a lot of the aha moments come in. That's when I start putting pieces together and figuring things out is how they line up on a timeline. Not just for what my story is, but what's going on in the world at that time. You know, what is the context of, of what's happening there in the big picture? And that I like that much more than outlining it. It helps me see things a whole lot better. And, the, and like you said, the timeline is something that's easily done. It's not something you have to overthink or ponder. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. No, I actually like to do this late at night when I'm tired because there's not a lot of thinking, but you're also a little bit off your guard. So things start and to jump out And you're accomplishing something. Yeah, and yeah. you're accomplishing something. Exactly. It's, it's satisfying. Um, and then the other part you mentioned about... Um, putting pictures up on the, my cubicle. I started doing that really early on. I'm, I'm a really terrible, awful photographer. Um, so I asked the photographers to make me just prints, like just a Xerox print, not a good print, and a black and white print, whatever, and I cut them out, and I tape them all around my cubicle or my little tiny office at home. So while I'm writing and I'm looking at the blank screen, I'm looking at the faces and the scenes of the people, and that's really it helps me to reimmerse myself in that world. So let's move on to focus. So under focus, um, and this is a presentation, Lane's done, so I'm, we're translating this presentation. But So she says, shower, 
leaving notebook on the toilet, consider lead, let cream rinse sit, lead sucks, ask for more time. (laughs) Okay. But so you're focusing, you're trying, again, you're getting away from the desk. You're not sitting there drowning in notes. You're letting yourself sort of really try to get away and big picture this thing and try to imagine what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, the shower to me is like a like a sensory deprivation tank or something. You know, it's like it's the only place in time you can just really drown the rest of the world out. Um, my husband always knows if I'm working on a, a big project, I'll be like, "You've been in the shower for 35 minutes," you know, and I'm in there like waiting through the lead in my head, and I'm not going to get out of that damn shower until I can get out and put something on the piece of paper on the back of the toilet that I know what the lead is going to be. I would say 95% of my leads I write in the shower. <laughs> That's got to be the most interesting point on this podcast to, to date. <laughs> oh, no, there's this, this is how to write like Lane to Gregory. Gregory, take lots of showers. <laughs> I thought that that was so weird about that. And then I read this thing in a magazine about um, Michael Franti, who's like, you know, a reggae singer. And he wrote this song called I Love You, Hey, Hey. And he talks about how he wrote it in the shower with his finger in the steam. And then he jumped out and got his cell phone and took a picture of it. And that was the lyrics. That's how he came up with it. So I'm like, me and Michael Franti. All That's right. Inspiration. <laughs> All right, you talk about drafting, and you say, read the first graphs of 25 short stories, (laughs) turn off phone, get Diet Coke. Let me just say there's a lot more Diet Coke in this process than Lane has actually outlined here. (laughs) Um, Type lead, keep writing, use brackets as placeholders, type to the end of a section before getting up from your chair, stay up all night. (laughs) Okay. That's it. That's, you know, in a nutshell right there, yeah. (laughs) No, I I have a whole list of... um, a whole shelf in my bookshelf in my little office of short story collections. And I have a whole shelf on my, yes, I still listen to CDs. I just finally got Spotify this weekend. <laughs> I have a CD shelf of like narrative songs. And so I'll listen to some songs while I'm vacuuming or doing the dishes. I'll listen to John Prine or, or Bob Dylan or some great you know, narrative songwriter. Or I'll sit down and read not even the whole short story, like the first five pages of five different Flannery O'Connor stories or 15 different, you know, stories by Hemingway. And, and just to see, like, get your brain in, in terms of, like, other ways of telling a story or other ways of getting into the lead or other ways of setting a scene. And so th- that's the fun part for me. That's, like, kind of I'm, I'm thinking about my story, but I'm really thinking about any story. And, and so trying to find the right frame for it or the right clothes to put on it or whatever. I think the one thing, like, I can say that it's a lot harder for younger reporters, I believe, is to sort of turn everything off. You know, to to not be checking your Twitter or your Facebook or responding to the dings on your email or, you know, looking whatever else is going on in the world around you that you're missing out on. I I have to turn all that off. And I think I I bet a lot of you ever tried that (laughs) just really, really going in the cave. And that's why I like when it's nighttime, too. It's dark and it's quiet. I'm not looking out the window at people walking their dogs outside or whatever. I'm in this little tiny cave that's just me and my story. And when I can get to that point, it's almost like euphoric, you know, that I'm able to really get rid of everything else. And you still like to write at night, even though that really was a motherhood technique. That was a way to balance work and life, but you still write at night. I think it's always been, though, because even when I was in college, we rolled the paper at midnight, and then you I would have it. to do my work yeah. between midnight and 2 a.m., so that was like my my happy spot, you know, and, and definitely with the kids, when and you were the one who told me that, put the kids to bed, get them off your mind, and then write, and I'd never had that opportunity as a news reporter to just wait till 8 or 9 o'clock at night to start thinking about it. Right. Uh, lucky for me, I'm a total night owl and my husband works nights, so he's gone a lot. So that's a really, that's my favorite time. All right. So the last part of the process before you turn this draft in, that's of course 
been a long process getting to the draft part, but okay, on the polish. <laughs> yeah, we haven't started writing yet, have we? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, so now we're writing, now there's a draft, and now you're going to polish. This is the last part of the process, to which you say, I suck, cut a graph or two, complain about cuts, shuffle the budget, sharpen the nut graph, unhaul market, cut the story in half, cut the last line, read out loud. That's a lot of steps, man. That's a lot of steps. And and I mean, to me, the hardest part is to figure out what to leave out. I'm I'm a really good putter inner, but I'm not a really good taker outer. <laughs> I'm not sure those are so, words. <laughs> I, I I know that I'm giving my editor more than she wants sometimes. I know that I'm dumping things on you that, that sometimes a lot. <laughs> sometimes a lot that needs we need to do a podcast about that. Sixty five inch story turned into a twenty inch story sometime. <laughs> but yeah, I like I, I, you're a putter in her. I'm writing that one down. You're a putter in her. Okay. I, I kinda wanna give my editor all the good stuff and then have her help me figure out what I should leave out, you know? So I, I feel like my, Mike used to tell me, you know, I can only give him 20% more than he wanted. And if I would have more than 20% more, he'd send it back to me. He didn't want to look at it, you know? Um, but I, I know I always, I write way past my word count and I, I, I must always keep my deadline. I'm pretty good about that, but I usually write a lot more than the first draft needs to have written. And, and, a lot of times it's it's scenes that overlap. You know, I'll have two scenes that do the same thing and, and I need someone to go, wait, we've already got we got that part already, you know. Are you better at the not having Hallmark moments now than you were before? You feel like you still they they still find their way into your copy? Oh, you know they yeah, still I know find my way. I know, but I'm, I'm trying to set you up here. No, you're getting about like 20% of the Lane Hallmark because I've learned to be a better editor and take things out. But <laughs> that that is something I, I err on. I think some reporters don't put enough emotion in or enough sort of like sentimental moments in, and I think I put too many in. And uh, my son, the actor, is, tells me he gets one cry per show, you know, and so I've tried to be like, okay, one cry per story. Like you don't want your person weeping through every paragraph, you know. Of course, a lot of that is subjective, but a lot of what you're talking about with the polishing is dialing it back, right? Is right. like, um, so, and then you don't, do you always cut the last line? Do you always feel like you have written just a little too much or like it's better the next, the paragraph before? Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, some, some report, I feel like I'm pretty good with the lead, like jumping in. I don't feel like I do a whole lot of throat clearing that some reporters do. I did when I was younger, for sure. It took me a while to get there. Now I feel like my, at the end, it's like, okay, I finished. Then I go. But wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, there's like <laughs> something that doesn't need to be there at the end. And a lot of times I can't hear that myself. You know, I can't figure that out until you read it aloud to me or, mm-hmm. or someone reads it to me and I actually hear it. And then it feels you can dial it back. Yeah, and then I'm like, okay, there's an extra two beats on there. You know, <laughs> you just buried your ending. <laughs> all right. So that's that's the Lane to Gregory process. Um, so you all go out there and uh, take a lot of showers, okay? Buy some Diet Coke. <laughs> All right. If you have a question for Lane about this uh, or want to suggest a podcast topic to us, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.